player two. Hey, you're awake. I'm Kitty M, the All Geek, and I'm your guide through the land of Pod. This week, I'll be talking about hammers exploding and doctors regenning, and explaining why actors are allowed to play cable, and celebrating Kevin Smith's film that has the best insult in it of all time. There's so much to do, player two. Come on, let's roll. Play two. Take a seat. Don't worry. I've already got the papers off the notice board and I flirted with the orc bartender before you got here. So, you know, everything should run to time. Did you see all those trailers that came out? I mean, the Star Wars teaser, which told us well, not a lot, really. I mean, there's lots of theories out there, but it really didn't tell us anything at all. I've heard some people actually had a problem with the teaser because there wasn't enough in the teaser. I think maybe those people don't know what a teaser is. But there's been some pretty special moments for Star Wars fans, with Mark Hamill talking about Carrie Fisher and how he was a bit in love with her, and yeah. It was a good weekend for anyone who's into Star Wars, because there's even been a new Star Wars animation announced. Oh, and Thrawn got his own book? It's a good time to be a Star Wars fan. Of course, I'm a Star Trek fan, so a lot of that means nothing to me. The Sense8 trailer also dropped for Season 2, Sense8 is a Netflix show about people who have a type of hive mind. It's like Queer as Folk and Matrix had a baby with the X-Files. Unfortunately, it dropped at the same time as the Thor Ragnarok trailer, so it flew under a few radars. The Thor Ragnarok trailer, by the way, was epic! It's our very own Taika as the director of the film. I say our, but he's a New Zealander. But whenever they do good things, we like to bump them up to Australian status. You know, like a reward. Thor Ragnarok got me interested in Thor, not as a person or a character, and certainly not in Chris Hemsworth, because, I don't know, you know, he's probably got a great personality. But it looks like fun, and that moment, you know, that I don't want to spoil it for you. You go, watch the trailer, come back to me, we'll talk. Did you see it? Did you see the way the hammer just broke? <laughs> it was beautiful. I cried a little, but my favourite part was that there was gladiatorial combat in there. One of my favourite motifs in the sci-fi realm. It happens in Voltron, in Star Trek, that one book where the kids are abducted by giant slugs to be playthings for some giant slug's daughter and they end up in an arena and then they're like, oh my god, salt is the answer. I might have ruined that book for you. Oh well. It was a good trailer. It was more than a good trailer. It was a great trailer and it's going to be an amazing movie. But here's a hot tip. You can like both the Thor trailer and the Justice League trailer. It's allowed. I'm allowing it. Because I enjoyed both of them equally. And when the Thor trailer came out, I gotta say, got a little bit sick of hearing people rag on Snyder. We get it. You saw the Ultimate Edition of Batman v Superman and still didn't pick up on the Flashpoint Paradox references. Or the cute Daredevil reference. Or the way Kent's mum looks a little bit like Joker in those Polaroids. Or the fact it was awesome as hell and shot in frames the way a comic book fan might enjoy. Or maybe you just don't like Batman murdering people because you prefer Batman Brave and the Bold version. That's okay. You can choose not to like Batman v Superman. You can even choose to not like the way Snyder makes superhero films. Not everyone can be extra. But it was nice, in all seriousness, for me to see the DC writers that I follow on Twitter get excited about a Marvel film. Felt good to have them not drawing lines in the sand, because geekery's just cool, no matter what it's about. 
Also, bow ties are cool. And angrier eyebrows. That's right. New Doctor Who. New guy is going to be good. I'm going to miss Capaldi, though. That's all. I need to be a long, drawn-out discussion. Not every time. But I will say this. Even though Ghost in the Shell did nothing to help bring sci-fi back, though word of a new animated Ghost in the Shell movie is in the works, it's going to be a good year for sci-fi. You know what else is going to be good? Deadpool 2. We should go to Deadpool's apartment. Bring a gas mask. It's not going to be pretty. Deadpool's apartment smells funny. Old socks and sweat and pleather. And, oh, I don't want to think about what that smell is. The reason we're in Deadpool's apartment is because of the Deadpool 2 news that Josh Brolin will be playing Cable. It's a pretty good pick. I mean, dude's got the face for it. And by that, I'm basically saying his head is more rectangularly shaped than some other people who have less rectangular faces. That's not a bad thing or an insult to his looks, it's just that's the shape of his head. I think he's probably aware of that already. But even if he didn't have a rectangular face, he seems like a decent enough choice to play Cable. And given that Rob Liefeld, the creator of Cable, has said it's okay and released a picture of Josh Brolin as Cable, that should be all the endorsement we need. But some people have disagreed with the casting choice, and this is the only reasonable explanation I can think of, it's because they don't know what acting is. See, actors, as their jobs, pretend to be people they aren't really in situations they would probably never be confronted with. Their job is to pretend they are different people in those situations where those things are happening. Bruce Willis didn't scurry around the vents of the Nakatomi Tower dispatching terrorists. Samuel L. Jackson has probably never been on a plane where reptiles got loose, and he's never put together a crack team of superheroes to save the world. Though, if either of those things did happen or needed to happen, I would trust him to deal with the situation accordingly. Oh, and Lucy Lawless isn't really a warrior princess. Though I'm certain she can fly, because, you know, she's Lucy Lawless. The point being, their jobs are to pretend, so it makes you seem stupid when you say an actor who is otherwise pretty good at pretending to be all the other characters they've been before won't be able to pretend at doing this one thing. It's like saying you've only ever played Geralt of Rivia in Witcher, so therefore playing an Argonian in Skyrim will be way out of your comfort zone and you shouldn't attempt it. I'm not saying, by the way, to get out of your comfort zone. Never get out of your comfort zone. It's scary and weird outside there, and it's nice and safe and warm in your comfort zone. Do not risk it. It does make me wonder why we have to keep learning this lesson, though. Even if the revelation that actors are just pretending to be characters has blown your mind, surely you remember the mistake a lot of us made when Heath Ledger was named as the new Joker. I was one of those people who said it wasn't going to be right. I was young and experimenting with what it was like to be wrong. It's a terrible feeling. No one should do that ever. Just be correct the entire time. Saves a lot of apologising and personal growth, which is hard and painful and makes you feel icky. The real issue I do have surrounding Cable is the idea people have of him being a straight-laced and completely sane character. By comparison to Deadpool, yeah, dude has all his marbles. But that's like saying by comparison to gravel, kombucha is something we can drink. It's technically a true statement in that gravel will probably kill you if you try and drink it, but it doesn't make kombucha taste anything less like fermented fruit sweat or any more fit for human consumption. Same as kale chips. Those aren't a thing and people need to stop trying to make them a thing. They don't taste like chips. They taste like compost.
cable is incredibly well adjusted though given the amount of baggage he's carrying around but that's not the same as saying he's on the same level or beholden to the same moral boundaries as the rest of us he is a god which means his view of reality isn't the same as ours think of it as if superman was more built and just generally cooler in all the ways he's not cool at all that's cable being a god walking amongst humans like a self-aware atom bomb he and deadpool aren't really two sides of the same coin as much as they're representative of different ways to play a doom game in god mode deadpool is the button mashing cable is the carefully considered headshots and the occasional melee but it's all chaos and bloodshed in the end i don't want to give away too much of cable's backstory or his character i think reading about him in comic books is one of the best ways to learn about how he and deadpool's relationship develop but i will say this as a point against any who would paint cable as a buttoned up hulked out space marine version of a gi joe one of deadpool's only friends and arguably the only one who understands him better than anyone is cable exactly how sane how straight-laced and how good is someone who is deadpool's friend let's think about that for a minute oh speaking of people who make poor friendship choices with psychopaths i've got someone i want you to meet come on player 2 player 2 have you noticed everything's a little off here it's like everything's askew no that's that's not me being clever we're actually in the view askew universe and quite frankly i am a little worried i don't know what's going to happen so i brought along an extra guide see don't say i don't do things for you cuz i did this one thing for you so you can never ask anything of me ever again i have the beardy hammer with us hello beardy hammer was with me in the first ever episode of land of pod and we talked about star wars and why the jedi are scum but when one of the first things that i ever was told i needed to see when i first met beardy hammer was chasing amy and he basically said when you watch this film this will basically dictate how our relationship plays out <laughs> given how you feel about this film Chasing Amy is a Kevin Smith film it's about the comic book industry and about love and everything about 20 years ago now that Chasing Amy was released i think this month made it a 20 year anniversary so i thought let's talk Kevin Smith and the one guy i know who knows more about Kevin Smith than i do is Beardy Hammer so Welcome sir. Well, I try my best. I don't know if it's really a uh a subject that you want to be the expert on, but you know, <laughs> I'm open to it. I'm helping. There's there's worse like you sh- you could know more about the subject of Tim Burton or my little pony. <laughs> hey, for someone who once texted me, I've seen this really cool my little pony. It was cool. It was a superhero. <laughs> you brony. Firstly, would you consider yourself a Kevin Smith fanboy? Yeah, look, I think I certainly was. I think there's two very distinct parts of Kevin Smith's career. And I think if you look at kind of uh late 90s, early 2000s Kevin Smith, you're looking at a guy who was kind of investigating himself uh relationships both with his male friends and with female friends and also partners as well. And that I suppose at the time was speaking to me and I think I think 
part of the Kevin Smith thing is you have to kind of be that age. As it's gone on and he's moved out of the the viewer skew universe, he's deviated further and further away. So I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a fanboy per se, um, but I'm very much a fan of his original viewer skew universe, which all, or generally, takes place in New Jersey. So Kevin Smith grew up in New Jersey. He's a film student. His first film was uh, Clerks, which you may have seen. Uh, Clerks was a film student film, basically. Filmed on black and white. Didn't have a lot of money. Decided he was going to film it with his friends in his local neighbourhood. And that is the film. It was interesting because I I remember weirdly seeing an interview with him. uh, I think it was an interview with him on the American Today show a very long time ago. And um, obviously just as the film came out. And then I saw it in the local video shop. And that tells you how old I am and how old the (laughs) film was. Because it was a local video shop. The film follows uh, Dante and, and Randall mm-hmm. and th- the important people in their lives, including Jane Silent Bob. Was the introduction of Jane yeah. Silent Bob. So yeah, absolutely. being the first film, it's amazing that the viewer skew universe, which hinges on Jane Silent Bob, right there from the start. And uh, Randall was the guy who was meant to be in charge of the video store, which <laughs> that just yeah. now it does. It didn't seem weird to me to watch a film with that. Because I remember when my hometown got our first video store. And that was a big thing for us because we were all just getting VCRs. The rest of the world already had these things. <laughs> and then we, we, we got them. Um, and so the video store person was really, really important mm. for your entertainment. And so Randall was responsible for people's entertainment. And boy, was he. <laughs> Randall, uh, if, if you've never watched one of these Kevin Smith films, Randall is the filthiest, worst He's a terrible human being. Well, you'd have to say his customer services skills leave a lot to be desired. But he is incredibly entertaining. And I think that's the thing about the Kevin Smith films is that all of the characters, whether they're good people or ethically or morally suspect, they're all characters, literally characters. So look at some of the people in Mallrats. And I think, personally, I think Mallrats is probably the weakest of all his films. And to be honest... I'm the only one in the world who thinks that. I am the only one. So I don't know. Tusk was apparently pretty bad. But that was outside the universe. And that's, <laughs> and that's when he started, in my mind, to kind of lose the, the, the luster that I was looking for, I suppose. A lot of his fans were, were into. So there was films like Red State and Tusk, which moved outside the viewer skew universe. And, you know, what? we can accept that as fans. It's okay. Like, you can move I... outside your realm. But, but there was something about it that was so removed from what he did before. The characters weren't there. And the real thing with the Kevin Smith films is conversations. There's no action. Nothing blows up. You know, the whole thing is that his films were all about people and interactions with people and how they coped in the world. It's a series of monologues, I always think. Yeah. If you if you think of the best parts of a Kevin Smith film, it is a dude talking to another dude and explaining this is how life is. Sometimes it's a lady, but more often than not, it's it's two dudes talking. And, and it's a really interesting thing as a lady to watch that because... I really think it kind of gave me a bit of insight into how men might talk to each other when women aren't around. Mm. And it gave me a little bit of faith because there's always that one guy and sometimes the guy you least expect saying something feminist. Now, I don't want to say that all of Kevin Smith's films will be 
widely accepted by the general feminist community. I'm sure they will not. But I'm a feminist, and when we were watching Chasing Amy, and, and I know when, when we met, you were like, no, I'm a feminist. Of course I'm a feminist. Women should be able to do what they want with their bodies. And that's one of the reasons I, I genuinely like you as a person, is that you don't want to control my ovaries. It's a really nice feeling. <laughs> you can keep your ovaries to yourself, lady. Okay? That's good. But, but it, was, it was this thing when you sat me down, you're like, okay, we're going to watch Chasing Amy. There's going to be some bits in this that I know you're not going to be cool with when you first hear them. Just write it out. See the whole film. And I recommend that to anyone who's seen half of Chasing Amy and there's a character in there, Banky, who is... He's awesome. Like, I love Banky, but he's such such a jerk. Watch it the whole way and and then turn around and watch Jay and Strylum, Silent Bob Strike Back. Watch those way, two. All the way to <laughs> the All end. the way to the end. With Banky, you've just got to go all the way to the end with this terrible, terrible person, trust me. And in Chasing Amy, though, I saw a great degree of um, feminist thought in, in Kevin Smith and he was quite, he would have been quite young when he was doing that and, and clerks and things like that. So, but with, with Chasing Amy, why was that such an important film for me to watch, according to you? I, I suppose I had not seen a film like it before. And look, people have done films which look at relationships between men and women, particularly uh, if there's confusion, particularly if they're not necessarily on the same page at the same time. We should we should start by actually telling people what Chasing Amy is about. It's about these these two guys who are comic book creators and it gives you a real insight into the comic book yes. industry. It is, and- it is very good in that regard, actually. There's a whole <laughs> lot of cameos by people who at the time were well-known, including in the background of Rob Liefeld somewhere. Oh, who, uh, really? Yes. <laughs> I missed him. There's a Todd, uh, Rob Liefeld, I think he's in it. Todd McFarlane is in it. And um, Jim Lee also turns up as well. So oh. so there's these Marvel comic and, and, and other comic creators who are in the film. They're just cameos. They just turn up. It's so similar to today's comic book industry. So these two guys are the big... Uh, the big weeks. They're they're writing this amazing comic book series. Everyone loves them, and they're mainstream comics. And they have friends who are what we would consider indie comics now, trying to push their trade at, at the different cons. And you've seen them in Artist Alley. That one guy that's just trying to independently push his thing, and one day it will get there. And I I believe in that guy. And th- there's all these people, and the the ones that sit on the panels for diversity, the, these are their friends. And they meet this one girl who is a lesbian and one of them falls in love with her and it tells his relationship with her. Is that the best way to put it without any spoilers? Yeah, look, I'd say so. I think everyone knows. I think even if you read the back of the DVD, it wouldn't <laughs> ruin any more. Like, you mm. know, it's going to tell you that anyway. Again, this revolves around people who have a common history. The thing about the Viewers universe is... Everyone who's in it knows everyone else. So you'll find that uh, the there's references in Chasing Amy back to more rats. There's references in more rats to clerks. In, and, and, and basically, as it goes along, they refer back all the time. So whether it's the school or whether it's, it's people, um, like there's actually a reference to the character, the female character in Chasing Amy in one of the other films. And they only mention her by her nickname. But then when you see her in the film, you're like, 
Oh, that's her. <laughs> I remember that. I remember going back mm. and watching things and going, oh, yeah. I know how yep. this one plays out. Exactly. And that's the thing. So so it's, it's very clever in that, that all these people know each other and they all interweave. Now, the thing that's probably important to say is that the, the, the films are Clerks, More Rats, Chasing Amy, uh, Silent, Silent, Job, Silent Bob and all that kind of... The, uh, the other ones. The Strike Back, yeah. Yeah, that one. I can't say Silent Bob for some strange reason. <laughs> anyway. Um, all of those films, they, they're not actually in the order that they were filmed. So they're actually in a different order. So Dogma, for instance, is supposed to come straight after Clerks. So if you oh. watch... The, I, I think that's right. If you watch the titles, it'll tell you the next film to come. And I'm pretty sure that the end of Clerks, it says Dogma's next. So, uh, so yeah, they're not, cr- not f- released chronologically, but they are a series as such. So, yeah, look, Kevin Smith's fantastic. And, uh, look, I, I don't know how he translates to Generation Y, as in, like, the younger Generation Y, maybe. I, I don't know whether it was a time and a place. I watched Jersey Girl last night. Brilliant um, film. And Jersey Girl's a fantastic film. And probably, apart from Tusk, his most derided film... It was, it was his first one that was outside the viewers' universe. As such, though, it's slightly in there. The link in the universe is Matt Damon. Matt Damon? Matt Damon is a publicist. Oh, really? Matt da- yeah. Matt Damon is a publicist in uh, Chasing Amy. Yes. He's also a publicist in um, Jersey Girl. My gosh, because yeah. if, if... Effectively if, the same character. If you don't know Matt, Matt Damon and Ben... And Ben Affleck, I keep going to call him Stiller now, um, are all throughout that that universe, which is interesting because my first experience with either one of those was uh, Goodwill Hunting, mm. and I didn't know. And then I watched Dogma, and Dogma was my first Kevin Smith film, and it's remains my on. favorite one. It's a good one to start on. The um, it's an easy one to start on, I think, because there's yeah. some, uh, nice big names at yeah. that point. Uh, if you don't mind people making fun of Christianity. And someone, I think, Kevin Smith, I read this in uh, the book for for Hamilton. Lin-Manuel Miranda says, I treat my Christian upbringing the way I treat being taught chess. I know how it all works. I just don't use it. Uh, And so I think Kevin Smith does that, where he Mm. uses his knowledge of the Bible to write what is, I think, a very, very clever statement on, on belief. But with Chasing Amy, there's a lot of beliefs in there and a lot of lessons to be learned. And we might be getting into spoiler territory here, player two. What is it that made you really love Chasing Amy? There's the comic book aspect, which is fantastic as as a way of learning about the comic book industry and the things people do and why some people are considered traces. Um, (laughs) But there's another deeper, like, relationship aspect to that. Mm -hmm. Um, what, What part of that did like kind of drew you to that i think at the time um it still strikes a chord now but certainly at the time it was the first um it helped me understand that some people have pasts and that's okay they're allowed to have pasts. you need to accept everyone the way they come to you and what's happened in the past for them is what's happened in the past it might be good for them it might have been bad for them or hurtful or whatever however it might have been they come to you in the way you see them and you can't judge them for the past and and they can't judge you for the past as well i think it's also about acceptance in that it was really the first and some would argue maybe it's not but the first really kind of queer friendly movie that i'd really seen because she is a fully fleshed out human being who happens to be a lesbian right 
it was unusual at the time, at least as far as I was concerned for the movies I was seeing, to see that being there. Like, you, usually it was like, oh, she's a lesbian, so she must have whatever issue it might be or whatever drama. She's just a person. That's just part of her. That's just part of her. Um, and that's that's it. I, I, I think that Kevin Smith films have a very strong female element to them, um, and I like that. I think that's really good. Um, I think it's good for... I really do think it's a good film for young men to see. I think young men should see Chasing Amy. I think they would understand and maybe not be complete douchebags. And and maybe young women can see it and, and understand that, you know, things that, that, that may want to, they may want to do, they may want to experience, are okay. It's okay. Pe- people shouldn't judge you. And you should understand that people shouldn't judge you and so it's, okay it's okay to walk away from the people that will yeah that's exactly you. right yeah exactly and i think i think it's a very strong film um it, i'm sad that kevin smith's moved away from that um his later films you know jane silence bob strike back and clerks two and soon to be clerks three i don't know i don't i don't think they hit the nail on the head as much clerks two uh, not clerks two clerks for me did that as well. I watched, I think I basically watched Dogma, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back because everyone had to watch that. Um, and Clerks 2 and then Clerks. And I was really surprised by how Clerks was quite feminist as well. He puts these things in it. So some of the stories, actually, most of the stories that people just recount in the View Askew universe is about how this one girl did this thing mm. um, or this one guy did this thing with this girl and it was filthy and it's always filthy. It's small always... town America. It's small town America. It's New Jersey. That's <laughs> what it is. Everyone knows everyone. But it's always dirty and hmm. there's always this one character who turns around and goes, don't judge her. And this one character turns around and goes, dude, she brings you lasagna every day. What does it matter? Mm. She's with you. She's not doing any of that stuff now. And it doesn't matter. that It didn't change who she was when she came to you. Grow up, mm. basically. Mm. And And for me, as like a woman, you don't get told that nearly as much. Um, certainly growing up for me like if you kissed two or three guys I remember a girl when I was in year six and she had kissed like half the boys in my year and she like went out with we're, we're going out where are you going we're all here from nine till three then we go home <laughs> no one is going anywhere but she went out with like all these different boys and obviously we were all jealous of her because she was going out with all the guys we wanted to go out with but then one day, one of the boys went, hey, she's kissed half of us. She's a slut. And that started. We were 11 and 12, and it had already begun that mm. you weren't allowed to go and do something. Everyone wanted you to do All the boys wanted to kiss her, but that had already begun. So to see that Kevin Smith was, was making these sorts of films close to probably around the time that I was first experiencing that kind of slut-shaming culture, and he calls it out... Um, I really like that, and I don't think he does it probably in a nuanced way that is necessarily acceptable to to people now, um, the the way we used to. But I think it's a really good start, and uh, and it kind of pisses me off that 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 start started all the way back then, and only now we kind of getting to the point where we'll have a a queer character who who is more fleshed out. And you're right, I didn't even I didn't think of her as just being a fleshed out lesbian character but she is she's a real character mm-hmm. and this is the thing as well and I, the, the point you make there is true like the thing is that that 
one of the things that, that one of the reasons why, and I actually saw this on the end of um, Jersey Girl the other night, one of the things about um, Chasing Amy was that he was coming to the terms with his now wife's past. Oh. That's what it's about. Oh, my goodness. So the the way that he and his wife got together was interesting. You can see it on YouTube. He he tells yeah. the story you, about you can, how they got together. Absolutely. Beautiful. And that's the thing. And, Good and on her. So he, yeah, and, you know, it's something he had to get over because obviously he wasn't the first one. And that's okay, but it's just something he had to stop the jealousy. He had to stop that kind of stuff. So mm. it's interesting when you look at... I wouldn't say that necessarily there's a lot of stereotypes in the in the movies that are particularly harmful. I mean, they're very diverse movies as well. I mean, you'd say that, that, that Clerks is, very, is a very white film, but remember mm. where it's set. It's set in small-town New Jersey. That's what he grew up around. Remember, he's using his friends, so it's, it's, he didn't go casting for this stuff. And then you get a lot more diversity through the films as they as they kind of go on. So it's interesting how his films have have uh, influenced some elements of Hollywood. I think he used to be called the master of the static two shot because there's always these long shots in his film where there was just two people, and you were just watching his two people talk to each other in profile. That's all it was. These conversations, and he was kind of I think um, derided for that for a bit. But but really, his monologues are very good. And they're very natural. I, I watch them and forget that they're actors. I'm watching and I forget that they aren't those real people. You know, like someone sat down and wrote that stuff. Yeah, and I, I think that's the thing about those films is that it does kind of you forget that they're actors. Mm. The only the only problem is then, and I've heard him talk about this. There's people who are like, I'm so banky, and he's like, Are you? Are you banky? Are you this? I'm Randall. I'm Randall. Now, I love Randall. Randall is by far my favourite character. Probably in a whole list of characters, he's one of my favourites. But he's a jerk and no one should try and be him. He is well, terrible. I'm similar because I love Banky. Yeah, right. Banky's, I love Banky. Banky is amazing. He is <laughs> unbridled uh, rage. He yes. is... He is repressed and he's small and all these things that, that, that he is that are so human and so bad. But there's a good side. There's a, there's a point in Chasing Amy. I, I rewatched it because I knew we were going to talk about it. And uh, in between pining over Ben Affleck, there's this point where, where they're talking and Banky lets go with Words that we don't say now. I'm not gonna. Mm. I'm not gonna repeat them. But they're words certainly that if you are a, a friend of the LGBTQAI plus community, you don't say those words. And back then, you did. We did. We said those words, and we didn't even necessarily direct them at gay people, but we said them uh, because it was acceptable then. And it's well, it wasn't acceptable, but we were allowed to say them, and no one ever called us out for it. It was yeah, it was part, just part of kind of the the context of the time, I think, unfortunately. And that's and it wasn't necessarily meant in a in a bad way. It was grouping people together. Yeah, and it, it wasn't right. It was never uh-huh. right. But you know, it was certainly no one called you out for it. And at this point, Banky says this thing and this really hurtful thing, and Ben Affleck's character, what's his name? Holden. Holden. That's yeah. it. That Holden Banks. That's right. Holden turns around to him and goes, "I know you're better than that." I know you're saying these things and you're saying this thing that is hurtful, but you are better than that. And there was something that I didn't pick up on when we first watched it, but certainly it's been years now. It's been about five years since I first saw that that film. 
that just got to me. I just started tearing up a little bit at seeing this cis, straight, gendered dude. Um, Cis, by the way, if someone is trans, they're trans. Uh, If you identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth, you are cisgendered. So he's cis, uh, white, straight man. Turning around to his friend and calling him out on it was just... Like, we didn't do that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as well because they had been friends for since childhood. Mm. So he was he was he was basically calling his friend out on something that he had been newly exposed to, but he knew was okay, and he needed to say and stand up for this person. Mm. So that's actually a pretty powerful thing to do. And these were two guys who they have a, a gay friend already within their their group. Mm. So they they're not. They're not the hate mongers. That's what he says. I know you don't hate these people, so don't use that word. Mm. And Banky reacts the way Banky does. But it was, yeah, it was something really powerful. And the fact that Kevin Smith put it in there. Um, and I know he, he has a, a brother who's gay. And I think that informs a lot of his decisions and the, the way he makes his stories happen. But it was just, yeah, I... Still to this day, that's going to be a really favourite scene for me now, re-watching it. So I think I think people should watch it and uh, take it in the, the context in which it is given. I think it's good. Yeah, absolutely. Chasing, Chasing Amy. If you haven't seen it, have a look and then watch Jersey Girl because it's nothing like Jiggly. <laughs> All right? Just watch Jersey Girl. You'll get something out of it. I watched it last night. Got a bit teary. It's a good film. It is. And just remember, it was being made at the same time as Daredevil uh, because... Kevin Smith said, I've got to make this film. Ben, come back and make this film. And he went, dude, I'm making Daredevil. And and as you told me, Kevin Smith wrote a Daredevil comic. He did. And you were talking before about that um, that kind of religious aspect. And he wrote the best Daredevil story oh, arc. yes. I think it's called Guardian Devil, I think. Can't remember. It's, it's in trade. You can get it. And it's an excellent, excellent Daredevil um, trade paperback. Um, and he draws heavily on religion on his Catholic background. So... Again, you know, it's another element to him. But but he actually is a very good comic writer. Unfortunately, he wrote a very bad Batman story. Um, <laughs> and he wrote an okay Green Arrow story. But he's Daredevil. Fantastic. Yeah, if, you, if you're going to go Batman, go Scott Snyder. That's that's my take. Uh, we should get out of this universe. Uh, There's a man, uh, fat man, in a, a long coat standing over there. That's he hasn't w- said anything. A weird guy with strange teeth and... Is he dancing? He's he's dancing. Let's go before he takes his clothes off. <sighs> We're back, and thankfully there was no nudity. That's it, player two. Come on, get out of here. You'll find me back here next week. The Land of Pods portals open Sundays and Mondays, usually, depending on what time zone you're in and how lazy I am. And sometimes there's extras. Like last week, I sat in Meat Space and made an entire podcast about Designated Survivor. You can reach me on Facebook with Land of Pod and my page, KittyM, or find me on Twitter, at ChaosKittyM. I pretty much live there, when I'm not in the Land of Pod. Also, there's a ladies-only writing competition as part of Lost Citadel's continuing quest to expand their universe and player base, and also to make ladies feel included in tabletop gaming communities where that's less of a friendly place, but it is getting a lot better. There's been a few people who are upset that 
Only those who identify as women are allowed to enter the competition because what about men? I guess they don't understand why sometimes you need to make specific calls for people who don't feel like part of the community, even though they're totally part of the community. But if you do identify as a lady, or variations on the theme of womanly, I've left a link where you can find out more info. Or you can go to greenronin.com and click on some buttons to find out more. That's Ronan, like the movie Keanu Reeves was in that time. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate me highly so that other people can find this podcast and hate it. Until next time, Player 2.